Christ lived to die. The events of his life on earth pointed to his crucifixion. For most people, this doesn't make any sense. Even the disciples didn't understand. When Jesus told the disciples that he was going to be crucified, Peter actually rebuked him. Now, looking back on this, we we shake our heads at, at Peter's foolishness. But from a human perspective, it really isn't that strange of a position. Think about it. Not not only is Jesus saying that he is the Christ, but he is also saying that he, the Christ, would die. This didn't make any sense. It also didn't make any sense from a human perspective that somebody would die and then come back to life. This sort of thing does not happen all the time. But put yourself there for a moment in the perspective of the disciples. You've left everything to follow Jesus. You've been with him now for three years. You saw him heal the blind and the lame and lepers. You saw him cast out demons. You heard him silence the hypocritical Pharisees with a word. And then all of a sudden, it all comes to a screeching halt as Jesus, the one that you have followed so closely, is arrested by the Jews and taken by the Romans to be crucified before your very eyes. Jesus has warned you repeatedly that this was going to happen, but you still didn't get it. So at his death, you think it's over and you give up. And you're afraid that the Jews are coming for you next. Now That's how those disciples woke up on that Sunday morning 2,000 years ago. They hadn't gotten the news. The story seemed to be over and the ending didn't make any sense. A number of years ago, I set out to read Leo Tolstoy's War and Peace, which is widely considered to be one of the best novels ever written. With over 500,000 words, it's also one of the longest novels ever written. It depicts the life of members of the Russian aristocracy in the early 19th century in the, the prelude to Napoleon's invasion of Russia. It's a masterful work with, with characters that grow and develop as the events of the novel unfold. And I empathize with, with Count Pyotr Kirillovich Bezukov and his friend Prince Andrei Nikolaevich Bolkonsky, two of the book's main characters. But as the second volume draws to a close, Napoleon's army enters Moscow to find the city in flames. The Moscovites have actually set the city on fire so that Napoleon would not be able to, to garner supplies from the city. Pyotr, after, rec- after rescuing a, a young Armenian girl from a French soldier, is taken prisoner by French forces. Andre is mortally wounded in battle and is tended by Natasha, the love of his life, but he slowly dies. I finished the book and put it down. Disappointed as much by the time I had wasted as I was by the way the book ended. This is the best novel that was ever written? Who's ever heard of a book that ends on such a depressing note with no resolution? It was was several months before I discovered the third volume. 
the book didn't end as I thought it had. There was a lot more that had been written, and the real ending is marvelous. It's marvelous. I learned a lesson there. Don't judge the story by the middle. Don't judge the story by the middle. Now, maybe you are sitting here this morning viewing your life like a depressing novel with no resolution. Maybe you're facing family trials, employment trials, health trials, sin trials, whatever the trial. Maybe you've been struggling for so long that you think that this is how the story ends. But you will not find the solution in the end of this particular trial. It's in remembering how your story really ends. Jesus Christ is the author and the perfecter of your faith. Hebrews 12, 2. He has written the story of your life. And if you are in Christ, it has the happiest of all endings. Don't judge the story by the middle. Consider how your story ends. Jane and I are in the middle of an extremely difficult trial. Liam is now 11 weeks old and, and doesn't seem anywhere close to be able to come home from NICU. The physical issues that he is facing are, are so complicated that it seems to be getting worse instead of better. Feeding issues complicate airway issues to make him unable to breathe on his own. So how do Jane and I make it through? I'll tell you one thing, it's not by any strength of our own. Not by any strength of our own. We are desperate for the Lord to do in us what we could never to do, never do on our own, to continue in hope. Now, of course, our hope is that, that Liam will, we do hope that Liam will be able to come home soon, but that is not ultimately where our hope lies. It's not where a hope ultimately lies. By God's grace, we aren't judging the story by the middle. We know how our story ends because we know how Christ's story ends. So we're sitting here on a Sunday morning remembering something that, something that took place almost 2,000 years after that Sunday. That Sunday... Was, was preceded by a very black Saturday, a black Friday, and I believe a black Thursday. S.M. Lockridge preached a famous sermon entitled, It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And he wrote, It's Friday. See Jesus walking to Calvary, his blood dripping, his body stumbling, his spirits burdened. But you see, it's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The world's winning. People are sinning and evil's grinning. It's Friday. The soldiers nail my Savior's hands to the cross. They nail my Savior's feet to the cross. And then they raise him up next to criminals. It's Friday. But let me tell you something. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are questioning. What has happened to their king? And the Pharisees are celebrating that their scheming has been achieved, but they don't know it's only Friday and Sunday's coming. 
It's Friday. He's hanging on the cross, feeling forsaken by his father, left alone and dying. Can nobody save him? Oh, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The earth trembles. The sky grows dark. My king yields his spirit. It's Friday. Hope is lost. Death is won. Sin is conquered. And Satan's just a laughing. It's Friday. Jesus is buried. A soldier stands guard. And the rock is rolled into place. But it's Friday. It's only Friday. And Sunday is a coming. Beloved, this is our hope. This is our hope. Do you know how the story ends? Jesus went to the cross and gave up his life, but three days later, he rose from the grave. Yes, Jesus lived to die, but he also died to live. He rose from the grave and he has ascended to the throne of God. You can't separate the crucifixion of Jesus from his resurrection and his exaltation. Do you know that Christ's death was not the end, but the beginning? Do you see the big picture? Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. So today we celebrate the culmination of the most important event that has taken place in the history of the universe. We celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But we don't just celebrate today. Every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. And we don't just celebrate on Sundays either. The more you understand what happened then, the more you will celebrate now. By God's grace, let us grow to be a people who are living constantly in our hearts, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Gospels show us the resurrection through the eyes of the disciples. We see the way the resurrection changed these men as, as in the power of the Spirit. They stopped looking at things from an earthly perspective and took on a heavenly perspective. They took on Christ's perspective. And through the testimony of Holy, of Holy Scripture, in the power of that same Spirit, we also must take on Christ's perspective. If you are in Christ, you will take on Christ's perspective. So what does the resurrection of Jesus Christ mean for you? I don't mean here, what does the resurrection of Christ mean to you? There's a huge difference. We live in an age of relativism where experience and opinion supersede propositional truth. Personal point of view is seen as authoritative and God's word is seen as optional. People read God's word and ask the question, what did you get out of that? But the bottom line is it doesn't really matter what you get out of it, at least as far as the truth is concerned. Truth loses nothing by your opinion of it. Truth loses nothing by your opinion of it. However, you have a lot 
to lose or to gain based on your perspective of truth. You have a lot to lose or to gain based on your perspective of truth. Similarly, you have a lot to lose or gain based on on your knowledge of how the story ends. Some people lose everything by failing to believe how the story ends. They reject the gospel. They reject Christ. Now, they might even claim to believe in Jesus and his resurrection, but their failure to repent and receive Jesus as Lord proves that they don't really believe. Now, if that's you, the Lord is commanding you to turn away from your sin and turn to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But for true believers, those who love Jesus, those who hope in a risen Savior and know how the story ends, can be divided into two kinds of people. In fact, we realize that, that sometimes we all will look like one or the other of these. There's people who sometimes get so caught up in present circumstances, in the circumstances of their story, and they forget his story. Let's face it. That's all of us sometimes. All of us get so nearsighted that we forget Jesus. We forget that Jesus is the sovereign of our circumstances. We forget about the riches that we have in Christ. But there are times, and I hope that you've experienced this, there are times that that no matter how difficult the trial gets, no matter how appealing the temptation, you have your attention fixed on how the story ends. You have your attention fixed on the risen Christ. That's the kind of believer that I want to be. Do you? If so, remember how the story ends. Preach the gospel to yourself, all the gospel. I've talked about this before, but but in, in my immaturity, I thought that I was mature enough to move on from the gospel. I was revealing my immaturity. I was thinking of the gospel as something, okay, been there, done that, got it, I understand, let's move on, let's move on to bigger things. There is nothing bigger than the gospel of Jesus Christ. We lose out if we do not preach the gospel to ourselves daily. Rehearse the glories of the gospel in your mind because it is in the gospel of Jesus Christ that we see the glory of Christ. And our present circumstances fade into the background. As you remember that Christ died for us. We remember that Christ was raised for us. In the resurrection, we see who God is. And in the resurrection, we see who we are. We see who God is, and we also see who we are. The resurrection demonstrates the faithfulness of God. 
On the cross, the situation looked hopeless. Not only was the Son of God being tortured by men, but he's also being tortured by the Father. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. grief. Isaiah 53.10 For the first time in all, in all history, there was enmity in the Trinity. The horror of that moment was so great that the son cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The son was forsaken by the father on the cross. There is nothing that looks more hopeless than that. But... But we know how the story ends. We know what happened three days later. As Peter declares in his famous Pentecost sermon from Acts 2, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And Peter goes on to quote Psalm 16 at length, applying the, the prophetic psalm of David to Jesus himself. I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence." Peter, sorry, Peter reveals that David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ. Christ was not abandoned to Hades. Christ's flesh did not see corruption. This Jesus, God raised up. God is faithful. And because God is faithful to Jesus, he will also be faithful to us. Isaiah worships the Lord for his faithfulness. In Isaiah 25.1, he says, I will exalt you and praise your name, for in perfect faithfulness you have done marvelous things, things planned long ago. Now, our visible circumstances change from day to day, but God never changes. His faithfulness provides comfort in a sea of uncertainty. Because God was faithful to his promises to Jesus, he will also be faithful to his promises to us. I've told this story before. But when I was in Australia, I, I was, one day I was body surfing in some, some pretty big waves. And I got stuck in a rip. And I was very quickly dragged out beyond where my feet could touch bottom. And I began to swim parallel to shore to try to escape the rip. But I was getting tired. I was getting scared. But I kept on swimming. And then just as I felt that I couldn't swim anymore, and I was, was about to, to wave my arms for help, my toes touched the sandy bottom. I can remember that moment like it was yesterday, that, that moment of relief when I touched bottom. 
Do you feel like the trials of life are carrying you out to sea? Out beyond where you can touch bottom? Are you getting tired? Are you feeling like you're about to drown? You will face trials in this life. Trials that can push you to the point of despair. So what do you do in those moments? Consider the faithfulness of God. Fix your mind on the God who is faithful, the God who never changes in his faithfulness. He is an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll, anchored to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. And another hymn that we sang a few weeks ago, Be Still My Soul. We're saying, be still my soul, for the winds and the waves still know the voice of him who ruled them while he dwelt below. The winds and the waves still submit to the voice of Jesus Christ. And this is true in your present circumstances as well. And if God is not delivering you from your present circumstances, or so you think, realize that he is delivering you through your present circumstances. Far too often we buy into prosperity thinking. We believe that that because we're Christians that everything is going to work out fine. And it will. But not necessarily in the way you think it will. God is at work through those very trials to shape you, to mold you into the image of Christ. The Father didn't, didn't, Take away the pain of the cross for Jesus. He inflicted the pain of the cross on Jesus. But, but he raised Jesus from the dead. And this is our hope. And this is your hope. This is the only hope that you have. And the degree to which you lose hope is the degree to which you are focused on the wrong hope. So by God's grace, fix your mind on Christ. And he will fill you with hope. Habakkuk 3, 17-19 Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He, treads, he makes my feet tread on high Places. And quite often we forget that. 
We focus on our circumstances. We forget the faithfulness of God, and so we prove unfaithful. But God is faithful even when we aren't. Psalm 89, 30-33. If his children forsake my law and do not walk according to my rules, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with the, with the rod and their iniquity, iniquity with stripes. But I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. God cannot be false to his faithfulness. And if that was true under the old covenant, it is surely true under the new, the covenant that was sealed with the blood of Christ. 2 Timothy 2.23 If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. God is faithful even in the midst of our faithlessness. To be a Christian is to be in Christ. Just as he raised Jesus from the dead as a demonstration of his faithfulness, we know that we also will be raised from the dead so we can trust him. Because of the resurrection, we know that God is faithful. No matter how things look right now, God is faithful. He can be trusted. The resurrection also demonstrates the vindication of the Son. The vindication of the Son. The cross looked like defeat for Jesus. Deuteronomy 21, 23 says, A hanged man is cursed by God. On the cross, Jesus looked like the vilest of sinners. Crucifixion was reserved only for capital offenses, for the worst types of crime. This is the stumbling block for the Jews. They will not come to Christ because they believe that a man hanged by a hanged man is cursed by God. But what they do not understand is that Jesus was cursed by God. He was cursed by God. He bore our curse on the cross. This is also a stumbling block for, for Muslims. They believe so many things that we believe about Jesus, but they do not believe who he really is. They believe he was born of a virgin. They believe that he was sinless. They believe he performed miracles. They even believe that he is coming back to reign. But they do not believe that he is God. They do not believe that he died on a cross. They believe that, that somehow that, that maybe Judas took his place. The crucifixion was folly for the Gentiles. It was the most horrific way that they could think of to kill a man. It was such a horrific way to die that, that Roman citizens could not be crucified. 
It was, it was considered too low of a death. And if women were to be crucified, they were, they were crucified facing the cross. They were crucified backwards to hide the shame. Crucifixion is shame. But we know how the story ends. Three days later, Jesus rose from the grave. He was vindicated. The resurrection vindicates the authority of Jesus. Hanging on that cross, he looked weak and powerless. But while he was on the cross, he was still the omnipotent God. He was still upholding the universe even in the midst of his bitter pain. It vindicates the authority of Jesus over life and death. He said in John John 10, 18, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. He had authority over his own life. And so when he said it is finished, he yielded his spirit. The crucifixion did not kill Jesus when he had accomplished all that he had to accomplish. He gave up his own life. He had authority to to give it up and he had authority to take it up again. In Philippians 2, We read that that Christ Jesus, although he was in the form of God and he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore... Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ God the Son, the King of kings and Lord of lords, abased himself to the point of being a servant. And he abased himself not just to the point of being a servant, but also to the worst form of death. And not just the physical death. But he submitted himself to the wrath of his Father. us but he was resurrected and he is exalted to the highest heights he endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of god hebrews 12 2 and there at this at his place at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven he is interceding for us He's interceding for us. And this is one of the, the, the chiefest benefits of, of Christ's resurrection and ascension that he is now at this very moment praying for us. We, we pray weak and powerless and, and so often half-hearted prayers. But 
but Christ is interceding for us at the throne of majesty in heaven. We also see the benefit of the resurrection in salvation as it's highlighted in the Heidelberg Catechism. The Catechism asks, how does Christ's resurrection benefit us? First, by his resurrection, he has overcome death so that he might make us share in the righteousness he obtained for us by his death. Second, by his power, we too are already raised to new life. Third, Christ's resurrection is a sure pledge to us of our blessed resurrection. So in the resurrection of Christ, the, the, his atoning death is applied to us. And so that, that we are already raised we have already died to sin. We already have new life in Christ. But it is also a hope of our resurrection. And though we will leave this life, we too will be resurrected with a glorified body. Because Jesus has been vindicated, we too shall be vindicated. In Romans 4, Paul explains that, that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. And in verses 24 and 25, he applies that to us. He says it is applied to us. He says it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Now Paul isn't, isn't here saying that our resurrection comes through, so our, our justification comes through resurrection alone. He is not dividing the, the atoning work of Christ. Because a few verses later, he says that we are justified by his blood. Once again, we are seeing that you cannot separate the death of Jesus from the resurrection. It is all part of one saving work. Similarly, in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. But Christ has been raised. And we too have died to sin and been raised to new life in Jesus. We were by nature the children of wrath, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and he raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2, 4-6. Have you died with Jesus? Have you been raised with Jesus? Have you ascended with Jesus? If so, then you can rejoice with Peter who declares in 1 Peter 1, 3-5, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have been raised to newness of life. We already have new life in Christ. And we hope for eternal life with Christ. But what, would, what do we do in the meanwhile? We already have new life. And we're hoping for new life in the future. But between now and then, we, we find ourselves, as I said from the outset, where we face trials, temptations. We struggle, we fall. But because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we also have power over sin and temptation. If you have been born again, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you. Romans 8.11 If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. We have the ability to overcome, to mortify the flesh, to put, put to death the deeds of the body by His Spirit who dwells in us. So whatever the trial you are facing, whatever your present circumstances, Cling to Christ. For it is only in Christ that you have hope beyond anything that takes place in this world. We remember that our citizenship is in heaven and we are waiting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Philippians 3, 20 and 21. So are you sitting here this morning confident in the knowledge that Jesus Christ is the author and the perfecter of your faith. That the very things that you are facing, the trial that you are currently experiencing, comes to you from the hand of your loving Heavenly Father. Now, God is not the author of sin. But he uses even temptation to sin to cause us to let go of this mortal life. Even in the brokenness of sin, 
we see our need for a savior. So we let go of this life in hope for the life that we have in Christ. If you're in Christ, for you, death is just the beginning. One day you will leave this life to stand before a holy God. And the only hope that you have is a risen Savior. So if your faith is in Him, you'll be welcomed into eternal fellowship with Him where all of the trials and all of the temptations and all of the things that made this life on earth so difficult will be a distant memory as every tear is wiped from every eye. And you will see those things not just as a distant memory, but you will be thankful. You will be thankful for the trial that you are experiencing at this very moment because you will have Christ's perspective. Because you will know how the story really ends. Let's pray together.